Amen and amen. Thank you so much. I want to warn you that I was out with show choir last night and didn't get to bed till 2 a.m. this morning. No, wait, that wasn't me. That was Aaron. Listen, we don't applaud people. Aaron hears me say that, but we applaud how the Lord uses people. Our hero of the day, Aaron, we appreciate him leading us in worship today. Thank you so much, Aaron. And I, I told him, I said, now listen, Aaron, if you, if you hang in there, if he usually hangs in for the second service, I said, if you hang in there today, I'm going to do my very best to keep you awake today. So hang in, yeah, we will do it. Would you take your Bibles and find Ruth chapter 4? It has been our theme book for the month of January. We've got uh, looked at three other messages, and we looked at each chapter. Now we're on chapter 4, so we talk about uh, relationships. And uh, listen, I appreciate you coming here today. If you're sitting in the front and you came early or on time, feel free to look around. Some of the gaps filled in. The more Aaron sang, the more you came in. So we probably should have had him sung just a couple more songs, but we'll move on from here. But uh, thank you so much for being here today. And we know that it is, uh, these are continue to be different times, and sometimes the band gets sick. We appreciate the band, and uh, always as they're there, but appreciate uh, you being here in worship. Appreciate Aaron leading us. Know that the Lord has great things in store for us. Already this hour, we've been able to enjoy, been able to bring up praise and worship as well. It's all about relationships. It is the series title that we have used this month, but whether it's the series or title or not, and whether we say it or not, it is all about relationships. It's about a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that as we grow in that relationship, we know that it affects all of our other relationships. You've come to this church, and if you're a part of this church, and maybe even you're here today for the first time, let's face it. It's not because of the preacher. The music may have had something to do with it, but it's either because somebody invited you here, you know somebody here, or maybe you happen to be here, but you're here because you like to have some relationships. It is about relationships, about your relationships in your home and your family. And uh, we want to be a church that helps you with that, whether it's today or through our support groups, which we call our Sunday school and our Bible study classes, that it helps you in your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your parents grandparents, whatever it may be, that uh, we want to be able to continue to offer hope. Hopefully that we'll be able to continue to show uh, godly love and continue to be able to enhance our relationship because of who Jesus Christ is. And we have discovered some of that already in the book of Ruth, as it is a book uh, that is about relationships. And we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4. If I haven't said it before, many of you got your Bibles open. You're thinking, I'll just listen today. Today, particularly, i just go ahead and get your phone out. Just pretend that you're looking at your Bible. Go ahead and text. No, do the other thing instead. Go, and if you'll find Ruth chapter 4 somewhere on your phone, or uh, we have at least maybe one or two Bibles on each there in the pews, I'd love for you to be able to see these verses today, and hopefully you will be able to see why. We're going to look at the end of the story today. Ruth chapter 4, of course, is the end, but we're going to kind of look at the very end at least verses 13 through 17, maybe not the very end that talks about the genealogy, although that is important. But Ruth chapter 4, let's read verses 13 through 17 to begin with. This now is the word of God. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has left, not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Verse 16 reads, Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, 
the father of David. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Um, Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I preached at a church that had a TV ministry. We were on TV live twice a week and in reruns two other times during the week. And we were on the coast, excuse me, we were online coast, we were on the TV coast to coast from Shoal Creek to Flint Creek, which were the two creeks maybe in that county in North Alabama in which uh, we served. And, uh, uh, and it was on, it was on cable, local cable channel two. Now, you may not think that's very significant, but that was back in the day when there was only cable. Maybe some had satellites, but that was one of the few choices. And for 10 years, preached on television and uh, like that. And it, was, it really did surprise me, but on the average of about once a week, somebody would come up to me and they would say, hey, we watch your church services on television. We watch, we, you know, we see you on TV and appreciate it. Now, there's a lot of folks that were in assisted living, nursing home shut-ins and others as well because they could be on. We were on several times during the week. But you know, when you're flipping channels, sometimes you just catch it. And so sometimes it would happen. Some of these who are in the assisted living, we'd have people in our church who would say, you know, we're their church because they can't get out or don't get to church. And this is before live stream and all that was out. But, uh, and, they, you know, and they would ask me, say, would you go by and see my uncle so-and-so? They would watch the service every week. Would you? And I would usually go by. I went and saw one particular lady. And I went in. And, and when I walked in the door, she had to introduce myself, told her she was so shocked. And she said, she said you, you look a lot different on TV. You look so tall, young, and handsome. And I said, oh, what a sweet blind lady you are. And, uh, you know, sometimes we do think we wonder what other people see or how we come across to other people when really the only thing that really should be, uh, that should matter is God's perspective and how it is that God sees us. But when we go along this journey, it's probably very natural to us in this journey of life as we go. We sometimes stop and we may ask ourselves, whether we're conscious about it or not, well, am I successful uh, am, I, am I happy? And sometimes we might think, well, yeah, okay. And you just kind of keep going on. Sometimes you may ask yourself that question you don't know, or maybe the answer is no. So maybe you do something different, perhaps, that will help you to be successful or help you to be more happy. But I want to tell you this, that anything that you do or anything that you're relying on, anything of this world, anything that, uh, whether you're relying on the material things of this world or you're, whether you're relying on anything else that this world has to offer, it is short-lived. And while sometimes that we can say we are happy, but if we do not find joy, peace, and yes, happiness in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, it will not last. You know, as children of God, our primary purpose is not to make ourselves happy. In fact, that's not God's primary purpose for you. His job is not necessarily is not to make you happy. Our primary purpose, our primary task is to make God happy. It is to honor Him and to please Him in everything that we do. God's primary task for you is not to make you happy, though some people would be surprised by that, but it is to be able to make you more like Jesus. It's to prepare you for the future, prepare you even for eternity and God is at work like that. We find ourselves sometimes surprised that God doesn't give us everything that we want to be able to make us happy or answer every prayer in the way in which we think it should be answered. But like a loving and wise parent does not give their children everything that they ask for that they think will make them happy and sometimes even allows them to go through some difficult times in order that they may grow. We know that the Lord sometimes allows some heartache and even withhold stuff so that we might grow and be more like 
Jesus. Here we are, we just read the story of Ruth. It has a fairy tale-like ending, even though it, we know that it's true. It begins, once upon a time, there was Naomi, uh, had a husband and two sons. And then all the menfolk tragically die in a foreign land. Naomi comes back home to the land of Israel, to the city of Bethlehem. And she comes back home and she's, and she's alone except for a foreign daughter-in-law. Thus the story unfolds. How do most stories end that begin with once upon a time? And they all lived happily ever after. Well, that's how this story ends. Well, what are we to make of this fairy tale ending of this familiar story? And what application does it have for us today? The Lord does have good stuff in store for all those who love and follow Him. However, He sometimes allows us to go through some difficult and some challenging times. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and that you might be happy. No, that's not exactly what it says. I think I've got it on the screen there for you. John 10.10 says, I've come in order that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Some translations say abundantly. He wants to give you a full and abundant life. You will one day look back and you'll be able to understand whatever he allowed you to go through, he was always with you. He never left you. And he was always at work, always at work for your benefit, but not necessarily to make you happy. Well, let's walk through, if we can, as we read kind of the last part of this chapter, let's kind of walk through this chapter, this last installment of the book of Ruth to discover what you can do to know that you're actively engaged in God's plan. We kind of want to be able to know that we're involved and we know that he wants to write his story in and through us. And we want to be able to be in a place to where we know that he's doing that in our life. And here's chapter 3 of Ruth. Ruth presented herself to Boaz and asked him as a relative of her deceased husband to be her kinsman redeemer. And that is to buy the family property, marry the widow, to provide for the family and to provide that the property stays in the family name. Now, Boaz is willing to do that. He's following God's plan and provision, but mainly because he has fallen in love, though. It's not just because it was God's commands, but he's fallen in love with a sweet young Ruth, which makes it a little bit easier to follow God's plan. But like every good love story, there's a twist. There's a foil in the plot, kind of like if you're reading a novel and you think it's coming to conclusion, but you got several chapters left, so you know there's going to be a twist to the story. Or you're watching the show on television or at the movies, and you know there's 20, 30 minutes left, so there's got to be something else. So there's, there's something is up. We've read in Ruth chapter 4. If you look back at Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we find where... Boaz and Ruth had met at their midnight meeting. We talked about that last week. As a matter of fact, I almost entitled the sermon last week, Midnight Rendezvous. But I figured you might take that not necessarily in the right way in which it was intended. So Boaz tells Ruth, uh, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 12. Boaz tells Ruth, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The Jewish law stipulates that the nearest relative is to redeem the widow who has no children to care for her by buying the land and marrying the widow if he is willing. And there's another male relative closer than Boaz, so it's not a sure deal. 
So Boaz goes to the town gate where all the men gather. I told the first service, and they understood this. this it's, the, it's the Floyd's Barbershop of Bethlehem. So to you all, it's the social internet, but with real people. They've all kind of gathered together. It was the place where business was transacted. And he waits for the relative closer to Ruth's husband to show up. And when he passes by, he then asks him to come and sit down. He he gathers a jury of 10 men to witness the business that is about to take place. And Boaz tells the relative about Naomi and the property that belonged to her husband that should be kept in the family. Ruth chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 says this. Ruth chapter 4 verse 3. It says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say... Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you, were, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And, it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So, the unnamed relative says that he will buy the property. It's the dramatic point of tension in the story. For if he buys the property... Boaz's love for Ruth will go unfulfilled. Oh, I know you, most of you know the story, but pretending maybe that we're reading it for the first time, you can't wait. Well, what happens next? Verses 5 and 6, it says this, Then Boaz says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Verse 6, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz says, if you buy the property, you'll also have to marry the widow Ruth. It kind of is part of the deal. Well, the relative, we don't know his name. Name's never been used here. But he says, if you buy the property, or excuse me, he says, if that's the case, then I don't want it. It'll be problems to my own property and inheritance. And he gave permission for Boaz to purchase the property. Now, the near relative, if you're still following what's going on here, the near relative was probably making a good and wise decision from a business perspective. Now, there could have been a lot of reasons he didn't want to marry, or he didn't take the property. Maybe he didn't want to marry in the first place. Maybe he didn't want to marry a foreign girl like Ruth. But because of his response, it probably was in the case that he thought very quickly that if he buys the property and marries Ruth and may they have a children or another son, then that son gets that property and he's left with nothing. Although I thought about that because if he marries Ruth and they have a son, it'll also be his son. But anyway, it, somehow it would, it would not necessarily, either way, from a business point of view, it was not a good deal. But it was a God's law on how to take care of widows. And beyond that, for Boaz, he would have sacrificed all that he had in order to not just redeem the property, but in order that he might be able to uh, redeem Ruth. First lesson, is God writing his story on you. If, if you want to know God's writing his story on it through you, be prudent. Now to be prudent means to be wise, but also means to show care and compassion and to give thought. So you want to be prudent and find wisdom in the Lord's truth. You want to be sure that your wisdom comes from God's word, what Jesus has taught, what we find from his example as well. Uh, 
in, instead of signing a contract to seal the deal, the nearest relative took off his sandal, which is part of their custom, and gave it to Boaz. Verses 7 and 8. We're working our way through. Verse 7 says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. And then verse 8 says, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. It's, it's a strange custom, but it probably had something to do with the fact that Moses uh, told them about possessing the land that they walk across. So it's kind of like you walk across it yourself kind of thing. And Boaz announced to the witnesses his intent on buying the property of Mary and Ruth, thus making it legal. And the people responded with a blessing of wealth and prosperity and perhaps an approval from the entire small town of Bethlehem as they were watching in anticipation. If you've got your Bibles open, notice in verse 9, Actually, what Boaz says in verse 9, he says, You are witnesses. Boaz announces his intention to all the people who are at the gate. And then in verse 11, notice what the people, they responded back. They said, We are witnesses. And the people pronounced a blessing on Boaz and his intention. Boaz is teaching us, and the story is teaching us, is what's right by the world standards is not necessarily what's right by God's standards which is nothing new. We know Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We're to discover always, seeking to discover the difference between right and wrong, which is sometimes hard to distinguish in the world in which we live, unless we find ourselves in God's Word, unless we're finding ourselves constantly asking, but we want to discover the difference between right and wrong, that's part of it, but then we need to have the courage to always choose that which is not just okay, not just good, but that which is best. When we sin, when we misrepresent the truth, when we're unloving or we're unkind, we're actually telling God that we do not trust Him. We're going to trust our own way instead of trusting God's way. Thus, when we do seek to follow God, be faithful to Him, be loving and kind, following God's word, then there's one way in which we're letting God know that we trust him. In the book of Ruth, they keep using that term redeemer. We've talked about it before, but it means one who sets free by paying a price. And we cannot speak about the word redeemer without, of course, as New Testament believers thinking about Jesus. And there are many parallels of the redeemer, as it's talked about, that buys the property, marries the widow in Ruth in the book of Ruth, and the one who is our Redeemer is Jesus. Now, the Redeemer had to be a near relative. Salvation is only found in those who belong to the family of God. The Redeemer had to have the resources in order to redeem the property and to redeem the widow. Well, there's only one who has the resources because we're all sinners in need of God. We're all spiritually bankrupt. There's no one else. We cannot buy it for ourselves but only Jesus, the one who never sinned, the one who is the divine Son of God. He is the only one who has the resources. And the Redeemer in the story had to be willing. The closer relative was not willing. He did not consider it to be financially prudent. But Jesus sacrificed all. He gave his life to redeem your sins and mine. And if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ. You're not part of God's family as of yet. Or you're listening today, perhaps live stream. Well, I want you to be prepared today simply because you're here and if you do not have a home in heaven or you're not sure you're here today, the Lord's brought you here and he's going to be working on your heart so that 
even before the service is over, even before this very hour, you can have the opportunity to be able to call upon Him and know that you have a home in heaven by repenting of your sins and placing the faith of your life and eternity in His hands and putting your faith in Jesus. It is by grace, His grace, through which we're saved. But it's by thinking of Jesus that we learn to be prudent, to be, have wisdom by seeking to be like Him. We learn to be prudent by being in the Word, studying the Bible. We learn to be doers, not hearers only. We also learn from prayer and asking for wisdom. So it is our prayer, Lord, help us to know the difference between right and wrong and give us the courage to always choose that which is the very best. Help us to be more prudent. But also, if the Lord is going to write His story in and through you, you need to be patient. Be patient and wait on the Lord's timing. I read somewhere that if you think that you're an impatient person, that probably you should practice patience by getting in the longer line at the supermarket and finding the slower lane in traffic, and it'll help you to be more patient. Well, I can tell you, it doesn't matter what line I get in at the supermarket, it's always the longest line, and I always find myself stuck in the slower lane in traffic. So I figure I'm practicing enough uh, to be patient, perhaps. But like maybe some of you, I do, I want the Lord, to answer my prayers quickly. I want to know what's going on or what the Lord wants me to do right away. I rarely want to wait. But many of God's greatest lessons are found in waiting on God. Of the two women in the story, Naomi and Ruth, which one do you identify with most? If you're, if you're a touchy-feely person and maybe show more of your emotion, you probably would identify more with Naomi. After all, first chapter, Naomi comes back and we're told how she feels. She feels God's let her down or God's punishing her as she came in. They said, is that Naomi? She said, oh, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means prudent. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. And then by the time we get to chapter four, the end of chapter four, she's overjoyed. We read it a moment ago, filled with emotion. We know how Naomi feels and what she's thinking. We really don't know what Ruth feels. We're just told about her actions and we're told about her words. And her actions showed she trusted God whatever the future hold. And all of the book of Ruth builds up to that verse 13 in chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and she gave birth to a son. Where there was no man in the home, there's now a husband. Where there was only death, there's now birth. Where there was only poverty, there's now abundance. Wherever there's emptiness... In your life, wherever there is a need, those who trust in the Lord, the emptiness will be filled. It may not always feel like it's being filled as quickly as we would want or the way in which we would want it. But with Jesus, we know that it's always at the right time and it's always abundantly more than we could have imagined or thought. We're promised that. I've heard testimony of many, many of you being able to testify to that very thing. Every growing Christian goes through a time in life and sometimes several times and we wonder, well, what's God up to? Sometimes how we feel and maybe even how we say it seems that God may be MIA, missing in action. You might read your Bible and pray and go to church, but still you fail to see at times or feel the evidence that God is close or is walking in your life. It may not mean that something is wrong with you. It's sometimes God's way of testing or growing you to be more like Christ. It's God's way of producing more Christ-likeness, more patience and trust in you, in God. 
What do you do during those times? Well, certainly you want to spend more time in prayer and being, you want to be honest with God in prayer. Lord, this is how I feel. Lord, what are you going to do? Where can I see you? Show me. And then be sure to turn over to God and trust Him and let God know that you trust His promises and His goodness. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We remember also in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, this very familiar verse, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So he wants us to grow, become stronger as believers. And Boaz and Ruth represent people of godly character continuing to seek to do God's will. Ruth was known for her character. We'll continue to study and hear about Ruth. Ladies groups, not just ladies, but men. Many will see Ruth as a good example. She represented the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, liken unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Her love for her mother-in-law proved her love for both God and others. And the women of Bethlehem, they said in verse 15... Your daughter-in-law was better than seven sons because of how she loves you, they said to Naomi. These other women outside of Naomi and Ruth, these uh, other women of Bethlehem, I'm going to call them for our purposes the housewives of Bethlehem. They actually play an important part in the story. Because if you've read it from cover to cover, read it from several times, ingenious way of writing of course because it is uh, ultimately God who wrote the book of Ruth but we're often watching the story from the women's point of view from these housewives of Bethlehem remember the, Naomi and Ruth are coming back in town and the ladies of Bethlehem see her and they say is that Na- could this be Naomi in a small town They're watching what's taking place. They see Ruth as she goes to the fields near Bethlehem and she begins to glean with the other women that are picking up things and other poor folks that are doing that. And they see that. They see uh, when Boaz comes riding in on a white stallion and meets Ruth for the very first time and they somehow they find out he gives he's giving a little extra barley there to Ruth than he does any other people that are coming through. And uh, they recognize there's a love connection that is uh, that is taking place and. My goodness, don't you know there's some tongues that were a-wagging in Bethlehem during these days? Well, not in a terrible way. Somehow, these ladies even knew about the midnight meeting. How do we know that? Because the next day, it's not just the menfolk or the elders that are there at the city gate. All of the town have shown up, and they give their blessing to the engagement. I'm sure they fell all over themselves giving wedding showers and then baby shower. Now, am I just making this up? No, because at the birth, the housewives of Bethlehem, they swoop in, they name the baby before mom and dad have a chance. Or maybe, we don't know for sure why they were able to name maybe uh, Ruth and Boaz uh, because they loved these ladies of Bethlehem and they had befriended them and because of how good they were to them, maybe they went to them and said, you know, would you please name the baby for us? Maybe they made a long list. Maybe they even had a contest or maybe of who was going to win or maybe they voted, but the name came out. And notice, notice it there, verse 17. This is the reason I wanted you to, one of the reasons. It said, the women of the neighborhood, the women of Bethlehem's neighborhood named the baby Obed. And the baby's name means servant 
What a great name, servant of the living God. I think the housewives are servants of God, providing encouragement by their presence and by their encouraging words. Ruth and Boaz were servants of God. We are, regardless of how good we may be, we are servants of God. We're to be busy working on the Lord's task for all of our life. So how can we want to be, God wants to write in and on and through our own life and our own heart. We need to be persistent. We need to be persistent working on the Lord's task. The Lord has a task for you. He has a job for you to do. He has a purpose. If you have come into the family of God, we've all got our different tasks and our different gifts that the Lord's given us, and we're to be busy doing those tasks, and we're, we're to not stop or to continue. And for your Lord has good things in store for you. So do not stop when you find what the Lord has you to do. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Stay with me here because Ruth could have been satisfied perhaps picking up the leftovers. I mean, they could have survived. Picking up in the fields in Ruth too, picking up the leftovers. But because of her love for Boaz, she was not satisfied with that. Because if she had, we would never gotten to the blessings and the relationships that we see in chapter 4. Do you know why many people get stuck in the fields? Do you know why a lot of believers, followers of Jesus there, they stop at Ruth chapter 2. They find themselves picking up the leftovers all of their life and they're doing the necessary minimum as born again believers getting by. But not truly experiencing the growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that he is waiting to give. Here's the reason why. It happens when you focus only what is in it for you. Or you focus what you can get out of it. And what can be done for you rather than on pursuing Jesus and serving him. Ruth's love for Boaz made her not satisfied with simply gleaning into the fields. Our love for God should make us be persistent in seeking him and growing in our relationship and serving Jesus should be our passion. You remember what, how Jesus talked about you serve him by serving others. If God is writing his story on your life, and we want to be sure that he's writing in and through our life, you need to bring perspective. I got peace thing going, I couldn't stop. Bring perspective. Watch from the Lord's timetable. It's fairly easy to be confident when everything is going well or you're living the fairy tale life. But let's face it, most of us, even believers, maybe especially believers, we do not live that life. I was reading not too long ago in uh, Micah, the prophet Micah. And by the way, we'll be preaching on that sometime, just to hang in there. But in Micah, Micah cried out in despair, what misery is mine? What misery is mine? And then he went on to declare, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait on the God of my salvation. When we are at our lowest, it is the time that we need to have the most confidence. Not in ourselves, but in who Christ is. It's when we need to be the strongest. Remember what God has done for you in the past. Has he ever let you down? If he never did anything else for you or me again, it would be okay. 
For he paid the price of redemption by dying on the cross for us. You will keep perspective by remembering the past, but also knowing the future and your heavenly home is secure in Jesus. Okay, you got your Bibles open. I don't want you to lose this because I believe the writer of Ruth wrote from a heavenly timetable with the future in mind. Just notice this, verse 7, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 7, the very first part of that. He writes, now in earlier times in Israel, he was trying to tell us about that custom of passing the shoe. Either when he wrote this, it was no longer a custom, or he's thinking there's going to be somebody out there in the future like us to need to know that this is some kind of custom that took place. So he wrote with the future in mind. And then, verse 17, we read, last part of that verse says, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, Several generations later, he writes. And it wasn't just after David was born, but he wrote that because it was after David's legacy was established and long after he had reigned as the greatest king of Israel. And you know, whenever we talk about David, we're pointing to the one of the greatest king of the Old Testament of Israel to the one who is the king of kings. So we need to read it from God's timetable, from a heavenly timetable. Now, as I read the book of Ruth, even today, and we've talked about the book of Ruth, no matter what I read, most everybody here, you knew the outcome. You knew that God's going to come through. It's how we're supposed to face each day that regardless of what we're going to go through, we already know the outcome. We can have confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done for us because it is as if it has His story, history, the future history and his story has already been written in us in the sense that we know that Jesus Christ has provided a heavenly home for us because we know that the victory has already been won. Speaking of, uh, speaking of weddings, I'm, I've been doing about 40 years, I guess, I've been doing weddings. And one of the biggest changes is there are more weddings, I don't know what percentage now, but there are more weddings that are at a venue than they are at church. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of something that has happened. And, uh, uh, and many of them are, I guess, outdoor weddings seem to be in vogue, uh, just hoping that the weather is going to turn out right. I mean, uh, and so uh, oftentimes without a plan B if there's inclement weather. And uh, in fact, I think if you've got a piece of pasture land somewhere you're not doing something with, put a sign out and get a website. Man, I believe you can make a lot of money. It just, uh, you, it's just in vogue. Well, one of our college students married here not too long ago in uh, uh, beautiful pasture land, I guess, in which we were married. They had, you know, nice green grass and little sand trails and, you know, uh, dirt trails there outside. And everybody was outside. It looked like a very nice day. Uh, till just before the wedding. Everybody's being seated. Everybody's getting lined up. The bottom falls out. I mean, it just, it just a gusher comes down. And, and uh, everybody runs for cover, put the wedding off, you know, for 20, 30 minutes. And it stopped raining there for a little. And it, when it did, boy, everybody went to work, especially the groomsmen. You know, you grab them whatever you can, wipe out the chair somehow. How do you have leaf blowers all of a sudden? But they had leaf blowers. They were drying everything off. And everybody gets ready again. Time's now. I was going to do it at this time. Everybody's lined up again. It happens again. Everybody got what they had needed to do, tried to get it. Three times, every time they got ready to have the wedding, Gusher would come 15, 20 minutes, and they'd stop, and they'd get ready. Finally, 
the wedding party, particularly the bride and groom, they were ready to get this thing over with. I believe it was the father of the groom that announced in a very bold, what's the word? In a very bold way, he said, we're not stopping again no matter what. So sure enough, get ready. Everybody's seated. Wedding party's getting ready. Here it comes again. But the wedding, it came on. They came down. And what was that uh, grassy and sandy little trails that were coming now? It is a muddy mess. I mean, you could, it was, you could four by four time that you could bring in that was happening there. I'm sure the hours that uh, were spent on hair and makeup it had already gone out the window. And, and nobody could even hear what I was saying because of the heavy rain that was coming down. I want to tell you, it was a deluge. It was a mess. But if you looked at the wedding party, they were smiling from ear to ear, nothing but giggles that was taking place. And particularly perhaps the bride, whom by now her white dress, half of it had turned to just uh, the muddy mess that was taking place. But the loving look that she had for uh, her groom, smile on her face when the music played, she was dancing to it, singing along when there was songs nobody else knew what was singing because they couldn't hear that was taking place. How could that be after such a muddy mess, after everything that had gone wrong and everything that had taken place and all the plans that had been made had been pushed to the side and everybody looked like they looked there sitting in the pouring rain? Because in the end, the bride got the groom. In truth, that's all that really matters. Listen, we need to understand how it's possible today to rejoice in the Lord always. To know the joy of the Lord in a pain-filled world when storms come again and again and again. How is that possible? It is because in the end, in the family of God, all those who have repented of sin and called upon Him, you still have Jesus. And that's all that really matters. In the bride, the bride of Christ, that is the church, that's you and me, we still get Jesus. Let's just admit it, happily, ha happily ever after rarely happens in this life but it's guaranteed in the next one if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And in the meantime, as you allow Him to, your Redeemer writes His story on your life so that it becomes full and obedient as you seek to honor Him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 144 and verse 15, Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Stop pursuing life or what's in it for you. Stop pursuing for what you think is going to make you happy. Instead, may you be satisfied with knowing you have Jesus and your number one pursuit is to please your Lord. 1 Chronicles 28.9 says, Serve Him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. Will you seek Jesus today? It's all about relationships. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ today, you're here in this room, you're watching live stream. It's first and foremost about a relationship with the creator of the universe, who the one who is our redeemer and our sustainer in the life in which we live. Put your faith in him today. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's all about relationships. Continue to pursue that relationship with the Lord Jesus. And watch and ask and submit to the Lord and watch what difference it makes in all your relationships on earth. Let's bow together. Father God, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you that we can come and we can offer up worship. We know that you're here with us. And we thank you, Father, that you're pursuing us. That you want us to have a growing, lasting relationship with you. 
And we know it's not based on how good we are or even how good we're going to be. But it's based on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, Father, may it serve as incentive and motive to join you in your good work. We pray, Father, that our lives might point other people to you. We pray, Father, that you may be pleased with us more and more every day. May our faith grow stronger. We pray, Father, if there's one here, one listening today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day of salvation. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.